Come on. Jesus changes everything, amen? I can't get over that fact that if I'm struggling, if something's going on in my world, all I need is Jesus. I don't need more money. I don't need more friends. I don't need a better job. I don't need cooler hobbies. I don't need to talk to a counselor. Sometimes that stuff helps. But the only thing I need is Jesus. It's the only thing I need is Jesus. And I feel like there's some people in this room right now that you're going through something. You need some chains to break off. Amen? You need, you need fear to bow. Because how many of you know when Jesus walks into a room, everything changes. The environment changes. It becomes palpable. You can sense the presence of God in that place. So we're going to do something. I want to pray for you really quick. Before we even get to the word or anything else, I want to pray for you. So if everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I need some chains to fall. I need God to wreck my life right now. I need Jesus to step into my situation, to step into my life, to step into my, my, finance, my finances or my relationships or my job or whatever it is. And I need him to just enter the space and completely change everything. If that's you, would you pop your hand up real quick so I know who I'm praying for? Yeah, all over the place. Come on. I'm glad I'm not alone in here because I need that too. Jesus, you change everything. Thank you so much for your presence in this place. That You say where two or three are gathered, you are there in their midst. So, Lord, you are here with us. And when you're there, you change everything. We pray in the name of Jesus that chains would fall, that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts. Lord, that you would enter our situations and just wreck us completely. God, that we would return back to our first love. God, that we would remember what it was like back at the start when we first said yes to you. God, how beautiful that moment was. How amazing it was to feel just completely free and hope-filled. Lord, I pray that you do that for everybody in this space, especially those who are raising their hands. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. God is good, amen? He is so good. He is so good. Thank you so much for coming this morning. I, my name's Sean. I'm the campus pastor out in Adel. And it's been, yeah, amen. It's been so exciting to see what God's doing out there. My beautiful wife, Holly's right over here with our two of our kids, Jaden and Emily. And our oldest is out in Adel getting production ready out there. And he's just kicking butt out there. It's a ton of fun. Um, we've been at the church for eight years this October. It's been kind of nuts, actually, how long we've been here. And it's been such a blessing to, to get to see what God's done in this place. Every single weekend, Adele's no exception, people getting saved. Every single weekend, people's lives being transformed by the goodness of God, by them being introduced to the generosity that he offers. Amen? So thank you so much for coming. If you're new, right out those doors after service is over, straight ahead, there's new connection boxes. We just want to bless you with a gift and say thank you for coming. One of our pastors will be in connect, uh, contact with you. Just maybe take out the coffee or, or just say hey. Um, we just want to bless you. So thanks for coming this morning. You can be seated. Worship band, thank you so much. Y'all are awesome. We're so blessed by them, aren't we? I love our worship team. It's so good. Jotham and Tiffany out in Adele have really blessed my life and made my job so much easier by providing uh, uh, just an amazing worship experience. And that's one of, the, one of the, uh, the keystones, I believe, of Eternity Church is that we are passionate about worship because God's worthy of our worship. Amen? Amen. Well,
Before I really get started, I want to take a second and thank Pastor Jesse and Pastor Lauren. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is Local Legends Weekend. And so, yeah, they're on vacation uh, for the next few weeks. They're down in Arizona having a blast. Last night, uh, Pastor Brad Thomas preached an amazing word. It was so good about what God wants from us, right? And it was, it was amazing. I'm so blessed by that. And then right now, I'm about to preach. And then I've got to get in my truck and speed out to Adele so that I can preach out there at 1030. Um, if there's a cop in the room that wants to give me an escort, I will gladly take it. And so that would be awesome. And then if you want to stick around for 1030, Pastor Connor is going to bring an amazing word then. So students, stick around for both. It'll bless your life, I promise. But back to Pastor Jesse and Lauren, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to call them not just my pastors or my mentors, but my friends. They're amazing, and we're so honored to be able to serve alongside them. Um, every single year, it seems like something changes dramatically in our church, and I don't know why that is. I think Pastor just loves change. Like, he loves throwing y'all for loops, and it, it blesses my heart, because I love to see y'all panic for a second, and then realize that it's, oh, it's going to be fine. It's the Holy Spirit-led. It's going to be good. Um, but it's just great to see how that progression happens and how it's changed. And, and we actually met them in 2014, 2013 or 2014. I think it was 2014. We had a big conference with a bunch of pastors. I met him there. And then we came up for our anniversary that year, I think, actually. Uh, we were living in Oskaloosa, and uh, we knew a bunch of people at the church just from a random events with other churches. And so we came up to see them. This was still back when this church was at the theater, Jordan Creek. Um, you know, 100 people come to the church. It was cool. Um, or, no, this was here, wasn't it? But the stage was over there. Yes, that's right. We did visit when they were at the, at the church, at the theater once. Anyway, we came and visited in June when it was here, and we got to meet a bunch of people. We got to meet Pastor Jesse and Lauren, and it was a great experience. It was a ton of fun. And the next day, we drove, we drove back to Oscar. So the next day, Pastor Jesse gives me a call. He says, hey, I want to hang out. I'm like, uh, okay, but like I live, you know, an hour and 20 minutes away from you. Like this isn't going to be an easy thing. He's like, no, we'll, we'll hang out. And so we hung out, and he's like, hey, I want you to be my kid's pastor. And I'm like, <laughs> no. That's not going to happen, bro. Like, I have a degree in youth ministry from a, a really good Bible college, and, and I love ministry. I love working in churches, but kids are not my jam. Like, teenagers and older. I don't, I love my kids. I don't like y'all's kids. Like, I'm sure they're great people, but this was then, not now. This was then. I was like, I, I don't know any of those people. I don't want to hang out with their kids every Sunday for 52 weeks. I'm good. Hard pass. And he's like, no, 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 I promise it'll be great. I'm like, no, no, I promise this isn't going to happen. And he called me like every week for a month, a couple times. And I, I remember thinking to myself, man, this guy's persistent. Like he won't let it go. And then him and another friend of mine came down and visited us down in Oskaloosa. And something that he said really struck me. And it was, uh, I know you're hesitant about being a kid's pastor. I think you'll be a great kid's pastor, but that's beside the point. I see the leadership potential and the, and the capabilities God's put on your life, and I just want you on my team. And kids pastors, the job I have open. And with that, I was like, okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. I can do that. And so I said yes. The next week we came up, he gave us a phone, we hung out at the park because Charlie had, you know, done some Charlie thing and bled all over their house or something. And, and, uh, and he's like, oh, by the way, uh, we can't actually afford a kids pastor. We can only afford a janitor. And so you'll be kids pastor on the weekends, but janitor during the week. And I'm like, well, I guess I already said yes, so let's go. 
And he's like, you only have to do it for six months to a year, just until the church grows and we can afford a kid's pastor. I'm like, cool. And that worked out, because I honestly only had to clean the church for like two months, and then the church just exploded. And he's like, hey, by the way, you don't have to clean the church anymore, because God's doing crazy stuff at church. And it, it's been amazing to see what, what God has done over the years at our church. I, I've done so much stuff for Pastor Jesse that I've learned that just saying yes is way easier. You know, why fight it when you're eventually going to say yes anyway? Just say yes and learn along the way. It's been so exciting to see what God does. Uh, but you know what? Over the, over the five different jobs I've had here at the church, every single one of them has blessed my family and I's life. Every single one. Whether it's being janitor and kids pastor or youth pastor or next-gen pastor or a Dell campus pastor or back to next-gen pastor, back to a Dell campus pastor, I've done it all, and it's all been amazing. And I've loved every single second of it. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to make excuses just like that to try to get out of something I didn't want to do or I knew God was telling me to do, but I was scared to do it, right? I've made excuses my entire life for getting out of stuff that I didn't want to do. Like when I was a kid, it was, you know, doing homework or, or cleaning my room or something like that. I'm not the only one here that tried to make excuses to get out of something like that, right? Like I still look for excuses to not mow the lawn. Now I've got teenagers who do it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In college, it was term papers. Well, term papers, that was really the only thing. And now it's getting projects done around the house. I, I really can't be the only one here, right? Like, I'm not the only one who has excuses upon excuses upon excuses to get out of doing things you don't want to do. Now, God's not often going to call all of us to be kids pastors or janitors at a church or whatever else we need done around here. But everybody has God speaking to them at some point or another, drawing them to do something that he wants you to do, asking you to step out of your comfort zone, and everybody in the room's got excuses. Am I right? Everybody's got excuses. And we're going to go over some of those today. And so we're going to talk about a few of the things we maybe make excuses for, and then we'll get into Exodus chapter 3. So what are some of the things we try to get out of? The number one for me is getting healthy. I am way fatter than I was when I graduated high school. And I know I'm not fat, but I'm just saying, for my body type, I am way larger. Listen, every time Holly had a kid, I gained 20 pounds. So I'm about 200 now, so that should tell you about how much I weighed when I graduated high school. I hate the treadmill. That's it. That's really the bottom line. Well, and I love sh sugar. So no treadmill and donuts and soda has really been the catalyst for my 60 pounds of weight gain. But I hate the treadmill. It's the worst. Like, I would honestly rather stab myself in the eye with a fork than get on a treadmill. Any, I, I, come on, anybody else in here, treadmill's the worst. Like, if I'm running for, like, a sport or a game or something, like, give me ultimate frisbee or soccer, I'm in. I'll run all day for soccer. Ultimate frisbee, something like that, I'm down. But only other reason I'd be running is if, like, a bear's chasing me or something. Like, I hate it. It's the worst. And, and, you know, maybe we start well, but familiarity kind of creeps in and, like, lifting weights and swimming in the pool or running on the treadmill just gets old. And you don't want to do it anymore. And you're tired of salad and water. And you just want something with flavor. And chicken breast just doesn't cut it. You know? I'm not the only one, right? Like, Janet's the only one that I can see in the room. Maybe there's a couple of other of you that just goes to the gym and just, you know, just squats a thousand pounds and can eat whatever she wants. But most of us have to work at it, and it sucks. And I make excuse after excuse for stuff like that. Maybe it's not health stuff. Maybe it's applying for a job or asking for a raise, maybe trying out for a role or a sport, 
or asking that girl or boy out, teenagers, hopefully after you get out of high school. Don't do it now. It's stupid. Some people don't have a problem just going for it, right? Some people can just see what they want and just boom, they're after it. Like that's Pastor Jesse to a T. He sees something, see, something he wants, he just goes. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't ask permission. He just takes it. And I love that about him. I can't do that. I see something like that and I can't just put myself out there. What if I'm not good enough for they reject me? Right? I'm not the only one there. Come on. Right? What if I'm not good enough for they reject me? That's a tough one. It's scary. It's scary to ask for something you want when somebody else has power over that thing. It's easy to go to the Mexican restaurant and ask for tacos. That's their job. But it's hard to go to your boss and be like, hey, I've been working really hard the last couple of years, and, and I feel like I'm, I'm pretty important to the, the, the workforce here. I, I really would love a race. They could say no. And that's hard. Rejection stinks. It's so scary. So we make up excuses. Eh, it wouldn't have worked out anyway. I won't ask because it would have never worked out anyway. Cindy is way more qualified for that. So there's really no point in even applying. Like, why would I apply for that job when I know I'm not going to get it? It's just a waste of my time, really. Or just flat out, I don't want to get disappointed again. I don't want to hear that no again. I've been rejected over and over again. I'm tired of it. So if I just don't ask, I can't get rejected, right? And so we don't need to do anything about it. It's another excuse. Here's the tough one for me. What about saying yes when God speaks? That's tough, man. Sometimes God asks us to do some crazy stuff. Sometimes God gives us some stuff that's like, Lord, you know who you're talking to, right? Like, I'm not a kid's pastor. I kind of like teenagers, but adults are really more my jam now that I'm almost 40. Like, kids, hard pass. God didn't make a mistake. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knows what he's doing when he's talking to you. It's so easy to feel like we're unqualified when the Lord speaks. There's just bad timing, am I right? Man, God picks the worst timing. It's like the wor- most inopportune timing usually when he picks. When, he's, when he wants to be the most clear, I know for me, when he asked me to be kids pastor, and it felt clear to me that that's what the Lord wanted, man, we were happy. We were comfortable. I didn't want this intrusion into our plans. I didn't want to get uncomfortable. I have to move. God, moving's the worst. Anybody else like moving? No, of course not. It's terrible. We had to move to Des Moines. It was so inconvenient, but that's God. Or maybe he just likes breaking us out of our comfort zone. I think that's probably it, honestly. Maybe it's we lack motivation or aren't ready or don't feel we have the ability or I'm just flat out scared. Sometimes he asks some pretty terrifying things like being a kid's pastor. But if there's one thing I've learned about saying yes to God, it's kind of like saying yes to Pastor Jesse. It's just easier to just say yes. You get through a lot of heartache a lot faster if you just say yes immediately. Like, God's going to work it out. Am I right? Like, God's going to help you out. The quicker I get to live in God's provision, God's blessing, God's power, the quicker I'll be blessed. So just say yes, church. So just say yes. He wants to use you. He wants to use us. We're his plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. So just say yes. That's it. Have a nice weekend. I hope you enjoyed today's service. No, not really. We're going to dig into Exodus 3 and see what Moses' excuses were. Um, But look at your neighbor first and say, we are God's plan A. 
He ain't got no plan B. Look at your other neighbor. Say, you're it. All right. So we're going we're gonna to turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 11. Uh, so while you turn there, I want to give you some context of where we're at real quick. Uh, Exodus 1 through 3 is, uh, we're going to take a a synopsis of it really quickly because I don't have so much time. Actually, according to the clock, I have, I'm down 836 minutes. So I'm over time by like a week at least. So sorry, but that means I have as much time as I want. So turn to Exodus 311 and then I'll, uh, I'll, we'll get cracking on a synopsis here. In Exodus 3, Moses is already at the burning bush. He's already talked to God a little bit. But in the first few, few chapters, we see that it's been 400 years since the Israelites have been uh, um, in Egypt. So the, the, their forefathers moved them to Egypt because there's a big famine. And, uh, and they've lived in Egypt for 400 years. But now pharaohs have come around who don't know the Israelites. They're unfamiliar with uh, what their fathers and their grandfathers the deals they made with them, the, um, the love they shared with each other, and now the Israelites are just a pest. There's just tons and tons of them. They're everywhere. And so in order to uh, feel better about themselves, they just make them slaves. They have them build stuff for them, and they have to bake bricks without straw sometimes, and it's just this horrible situation for the Israelites. And then one day, the Pharaoh says, you know what, there's just too many of you, and so we're going to kill all the firstborn sons. And so Moses' mom puts him in a basket, sends him in the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And so Moses literally gets raised in Pharaoh's household with Pharaoh. He was born, in, born an Israelite, but he gets raised up as an Egyptian. So he has the best education, the best classical learning that you could possibly have of the ancient world. He's one of the, probably one of the most uh, well-educated people there was as Pharaoh's buddy, Pharaoh's basically brother. And so at this point, uh, Moses decides he's kind of tired of living this Egyptian lifestyle. He realizes he's an Israelite, and he sees an Egyptian slave master mistreating one of his brethren. And so he kills him. And so instead of fessing up to the truth, he runs off into the wilderness where he spends the next 40 years. This happens when he's 40. And so by the time we get to the burning bush, Moses is 80 years old. So if you're tired of waiting, church, for what God wants to speak to you, and you're not 80 yet, God's still got time. <laughs> God's still got time to speak to you. I promise he's going to give you something, and probably before 80. But if you're still waiting for that big thing God has planned for you, and you're not 80 yet, you still got time. And so he shows up. He sees this bush that's burning, that's not being consumed, the word says. And he's curious about it, which I think all of us would be, and goes over, and God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And he says, Moses, I've seen the iniquities of my people. I need you to go down there and bring them out from Pharaoh's hand into the wilderness and worship me on this mountain. And Moses is like, hard pass. I'm good. And these are the excuses that we're going to look at. I think there's five that we can see from scripture of why Moses doesn't want to do this thing. And then at the end, the fifth one, we're going to see really Moses' true problem. And we're going to dissect that a little bit. So if you're in Exodus, we're in uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Excuse number one, I'm unprepared. Has anybody ever felt unprepared for what God's called them to do before? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. I'd never been a kid's pastor. I had not done that before. I had gone to Bible college, so I knew the word. And I had had some preaching classes, so I knew how to preach. But I didn't know how to preach to kids. Kids is a whole other animal. I knew how to be a dork. Like, that's like who I am. And kids love that. So it worked out. But I didn't know how to do that. I felt totally unprepared. And so what does Moses say to to God? uh, Exodus 3.11 says, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. 
Who am I, God, that I should go do that thing you asked me to do? I'm nobody. I've wandered the desert the last 40 years. Now, God's blessed Moses over that time. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got this big, beautiful family. He's got a job as a shepherd. He's made his way. He's pretty comfortable. But who am I? I'm, I'm nobody, Lord. Honestly, not a great excuse for Moses as excuses go. Like we just got done saying, he was raised with Pharaoh. He had the best education. He knew Pharaoh. So of anybody at the time period, Moses was kind of the guy. He is the guy I would have picked, honestly. If anyone was prepared to talk to Pharaoh, it was Moses. But if we're being fair, it had been 40 years. The last time he was there, he'd killed a guy, right? And the last time, and his reputation wasn't that great because the last time he was there, he killed a guy. The last time they knew about him was, was that he had killed a man. But God's response covers all of that. God's response covers all of that. Simple. I will be with you. What else do you need? It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. I'm with you. It doesn't matter what you can do, what you can't do. I can do it. It doesn't matter if you can't do it, Moses. I can. You don't need to have the perfect resume. You don't need to know the right people. You just need me. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If God's called you to do something, he will give you the strength. He will give you the resources. He will give, surround you with the right people to help you do that. It still might be scary, yes, but God is with you. Don't wait for the title or the raise or the spouse. Do it now. Next excuse, Moses, what do you got? They won't know me. Honestly, the one that I identify with the most in this whole gambit of excuses, they won't know me. The devil has used this excuse for me my entire life. Who are you? They don't know you. You're just Sean. You don't have a dad. You don't have a million friends like those other guys. You don't have these beautiful, amazing communication skills. You, you don't know how to do a budget. You don't have, uh, back before I was married, you don't have a wife. You don't have kids. You don't have a family. Who are you? The devil constantly used that. And it, he used it for Moses, too. Exodus 3.13 says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I say to them? Again, kind of a fair excuse considering he'd been gone 40 years. And most Israelites only knew him as his reputation as a murderer. They won't care who he is. They won't care who Moses is. So God once again gives the perfect response. And it's not who is being sent, but the sender that matters. It doesn't matter who Moses is, and it doesn't matter who I am. I walk in the authority of the Almighty. I have the power of God at my back. So it doesn't matter that my name's Sean Cully. What matters is that the Holy Spirit resides inside of me, and I can walk into any room, talk to any person, because God has given me the authority, and God's given you the authority to do that. It's not who's being sent. It's the I am that's with you. God says, I am, the, I am who I am. This is who, what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In one simple line, God sums up perfectly his character and truth about who he is. He is the self-existent, uncaused cause. He is the personal and eternal God of the universe. By him, all things were and are and will be made and sustained. He is the king of all creation, the master of all things. When he says he is the I am, he is saying he is whatever you need, whenever you need it. He's saying, I am your provider. 
I am your hope. I am your love. I am your, your, your friend. I am your family. I am anything you need, anytime you need it. He is the I am. You're scared about going after that job? He is your source of strength. He is your courage. You're scared about asking that girl to marry you? He is your provider. He is your hope. I am sending you to Pharaoh. That's what he says. Whatever you need, whenever you need it. It doesn't matter if they knew Moses. It doesn't matter if they didn't know Moses. It didn't matter if they know your name, church. Because he is the one sending you, and we walk in his authority. Next excuse, Moses. Nice try. Excuse number three. What if they don't believe me? Uh, Exodus 4.1 says, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And honestly, that's kind of a valid one. I hear that 100%. Because if some dude walked in here and said, hey, guys, listen, I know I haven't been around for 80 years uh, or 40 years. I'm 80 years old now. Uh, but God sent me. Uh, he wants us to leave this place and go to the wilderness where we'll worship him on a mountain and he'll deliver you from the Egyptians. Again, hard pass. No thanks. Last time you were here, you killed a guy. So for all we know, you're taking us out there to like slaughter us or something. Like, no, we're not doing that. It's not going to happen. Would you believe that guy? Would you believe that he heard from God? So God gave him three proofs that he is with him. And he starts with a question. What's that in your hand? Moses was a shepherd, so he carried a shepherd's staff. It was probably just an ordinary stick, but this thing was super important to his everyday life. He needed this thing to fend off predators, to, to save sheep from pits. He needed it. It was valuable to him. And so he says, what's that in your hand? What have you got with you, Moses? Because I can use anything, anyone, anytime, but I'd like to use you. So what's that in your hand, Moses? So he takes this staff and he throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And then when he picks it up by the tail again, it turns back into a staff. It's a miracle. He can show Pharaoh that, hey, God is with me. But he gives him another one. He, he, he can put his hand in his cloak, pull it out, and it's filled with leprosy. It's got leprosy all over it. It's just horrible. Like, imagine Thanos disappearing, right? That's kind of what it looked like, but on his hand. And then he can put it back in his cloak and pull it out, and it's, hel it's healthy. It's healed. It's normal. Another miracle that God gave Moses to prove that God is with him. But he gave him another one, too. He could take water from the Nile or turn the water in the Nile into blood, it's crazy. Who could do that? God must be with you. Surely God is with you. Nobody else can do that. So when you say God is with you, yeah, I, I believe that. So you can speak to me about things that are important. Speak to me about things going on in my life because I see that the power of God resides in you and is with you. So yeah, I can buy that. Next excuse, Moses. The bigger picture here is questioning of God by Moses, the what-ifs. I'm sorry, I'm still on excuse number three. Moses was stalling. It was all fear. None of it was really a legitimate excuse. It was all, God, what if? What if they don't listen to me? What if Pharaoh kills me? What if I get the Israelites out of Egypt and I don't know what to do? He wanted to see the plan before he implemented his faith. The problem is that's not how faith works. That's not faith. Faith is believing, not seeing. And as long as we're saying what if, we're not actually obeying, you're negotiating. Right? If you're saying, God, what if? Okay, but that, I see how that'll work, but what if this? Okay, God, I see that, but what if this? That's not saying, yes, Lord. That's saying, okay, God, let's work this out first. That's not how God works, church. 
God wants you to just say yes, believing that he's got your best interest at heart. Obedience is here I am, Lord, send me. Negotiating is let's, let me see it, then I'll do it. And to God, all that matters is obedience. That's all that matters is that you just say yes. So number four, he's got two more excuses. One is I can't do it. God, I just can't do it. That's not for me. 410 says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Kind of a circular excuse here a little bit. He's already said, who, me? Like he's not good enough. Now here Moses is saying, I can't do it. Even though God has already told him he'd be with him and he'd give him miracles as proof, right? And so he's, now he's just kind of repeating an, an old one in just a little bit different packaging. Um, I can't do it. And how does God respond? He says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He knows Moses is weak. He knows Moses is fragile. He knows Moses is probably a little bit like a clay pot. Like, it looks cool, but it's, it's not, I mean, like, that was pretty easy. <laughs> Just dropped it. Like, that wasn't even hard to break that. And that's probably a little bit how Moses feels. Like, God, I can't get hurt again. I can't get broken again. God, if I do this, I might get hurt again. But what he doesn't realize is that God's got him. And God's got you, church. It's because of our weakness, our frailty, that he wants to use Moses. And he wants to use us. It's because he knows how easily broken we are. It's because we're frail and honestly kind of beautiful. Like this one, it's got these at Hobby Lobby. They're kind of cool. But it's got cracks and chips all over it, like deformities. and Like this one wasn't used for something special, but it looks like it was, right? <laughs> and this one's kind of perfect. It's, there's nothing really wrong with it. Um, it's beautiful. God wants to use that one too. But Moses is like, God, I feel more like, like these ones. Been stepped on been abused. Yeah, I grew up in Pharaoh's house, but I, I don't feel qualified to go and do what you've asked me to do. I'm kind of scared because I like my life right now. I'm comfortable. I don't want to do the thing that could get me killed or at least shamed and ridiculed. But Moses' faith and obedience encourages us and gives us courage, just like our faith does for other people. When people see that, yeah, we're broken, we're maybe a little bit deformed, or maybe we look like we got it all together, we can still do awesome stuff for God. We can still do the things he's asked us to do. He will give us whatever we need. He will be, our obedience to him will give other people faith that they can do the same thing. And so finally we get to Moses' last excuse. And really what I think is the heart of Moses' bottom line. All that other stuff was kind of trying to get out of it. But this is him being honest for a second. It says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to. Because I have been broken before. I have been hurt. I might have some cracks or some deformities. I might look pretty on the outside, but I'm, I'm probably a little broken too. I, wow, that one's strong. There we go. Some bits of me are strong. Some bits of me are really, really broken. Some bits of me have been hurt 
Sorry, Declan. Some bits of me, although I look beautiful, I've put myself back together pretty well. And if you don't know me, you wouldn't know that I've been broken before because maybe this one that looks cracked, I've put myself back together pretty well. But God, I'm, I'm really a little destroyed on the inside. He's happy. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got a career. I don't want you messing up my nice, tidy life over here. That honestly is pretty great. It's comfortable. But comfort is the enemy of progress. Comfort keeps you where you're at. God wants to take you further. When you're comfortable in Egypt, God wants to take you to the wilderness and then to Israel. When you're comfortable at the base of the mountain, when Moses is up speaking to God, you build calves and worship foreign uh, idol gods. But God wants to take you out of that to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. God wants to take you somewhere that you never thought you could possibly go. When we get a little uncomfortable, we're more willing to push the envelope, to be a little bolder or challenge the status quo, maybe even be a little bit rebellious. And I think a little bit rebellious is kind of a good thing. Not rebellion to God or to the biblical authority in our lives. But when culture says to abandon your biblical truth to make us feel better, you plant yourself like a tree and refuse to move. And say, this is what the word of God says and I'm not compromising this. You just try and make me. If not Moses, then who? If not right then, when? Sure, God could have just done it himself, but he wanted to use Moses. And he wants to use you, church. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've fallen and put yourself back together. God wants to use you. If not you, who? If not now, when? God is speaking to you. He has spoken to you. And he wants to move in our world through you. We're his plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. You with all your imperfections and flaws. You with all your brokenness. It doesn't matter if you know the Bible yet. Start today. It doesn't matter if you've messed up your past. Who hasn't? We're all broken. Even those of us who look like we got it all together, I promise you, we have a broken past. Just ask my kids. We're in the middle of a remodel. I have broken lots of things. And not just in our house, but in my own life. It doesn't matter if you can preach or teach or sing. Everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. Sometimes he asks you to be a kids pastor slash janitor. Sometimes he asks you to work in the cafe or in production or in worship team or to preach. Sometimes he asks you to go to the homeless and give somebody a pair of socks or a bottle of water. But he speaks and he moves and he does it through us. So when he speaks, he didn't make a mistake. He knows who he's talking to, and he knows what he's asking of you. And sometimes even he knows how much you might feel like you can't do it or that you're broken and it's impossible. But if God's asked you to do it, you can do it. You just got to believe in the one who's sending you. You got to say, Lord, I know I can do this because your power is with me. It doesn't matter if your bank account says $0 or $7 million. He just wants your obedience. Your situation doesn't impact God's ability to use you. The only thing that stops God from using you is you. That's it. There is nothing in this world that can make you say no to God except for you. The only, things that, ma only thing that matters to, uh, is who sent you and your obedience to him. He can use you. He can use you at your school to bring the gospel, not just to your friends, to your teachers, your administrators, 
Your influence, your example will challenge adults' lives. At your workplace is a calming presence and a reminder that love and hope are not extinct, that it still exists. At the gym, when that jack dude in the corner that never talks to anybody asks you why you're always so full of joy, and you get to explain the hope that is in you. Come on, church. At the store, in the Zoom meeting, at the park, anywhere else that people need a dose of the Holy Ghost, pray for people, lay hands on the sick, preach the gospel, worship, and do all of it boldly, unashamed, completely ready to say yes whenever God asks you to. Don't be ashamed of the treasure that you have stored up inside of you. If you're this jar, there is a beautiful treasure in here. Don't be ashamed of it. After all, how much would you have to hate somebody to have the answer to all of life's issues and problems and not tell them? How much would you have to hate that person when you have that treasure in here? It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4. There's a lot of scriptures. We're not going to put it all up. But the last bit we will. It says this. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but we're not destroyed. We hold these treasures in jars of clay. That's all we are. Simple, broken, frail vessels. Just easily. Wow! That actually was not planned. That was kind of impressive. Sometimes we won't break, guys. That was kind of perfect, actually. Some of us are more frail than others, I guess. But you know what? It's okay, because the treasure that we keep inside, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is God's plan A. And there's no plan B. And he keeps it in something so fragile something so easily broken, it's oftentimes hard for me to comprehend why God would use something that's so easily destroyed. I don't get it sometimes, honestly. Back then, jars of clay were pretty ordinary, easily chipped, broken. Usually they had a lot of flaws. They were really useful in biblical times. They held lots of things, but it would have been odd to hear Paul reference that as something to hold treasure in. Like, okay, yeah, I get wanting to hold treasure and keep it guarded, but why would you put it in that? That gets broken. That can be easily stolen. 
After all, there are much better things to keep treasures in. Why would God want to use a vessel like that? That's hard to handle. The pot would have had a lot of excuses to tell God, no, God, please don't use me. God, please don't use me. Use that fancy pot over there that clearly has more potential than me. Or that pot. It's not actually being used for anything. Go use that one. God says, no, I want to use you. There's no plan B. We're his plan for the world. With all of our chips and cracks and excuses and brokenness. It's not that God has to use us. It's that he wants to. He wants to take our brokenness and use it for his glory. He wants to take all of our fractures and flaws and say, look what I can do with that. Check this out. He wants to pick us up, wipe off the dirt and the blood and the tears and say, all right, that didn't work. Now, how about we try it my way? He'll heal you. He'll restore you. He'll bless you and give you such a big, beautiful purpose that you'll look back one day and say, holy crap, that was my life. He did all that with this pot? Lord, you are good. And now he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. He gets all of the worship. And he can do that with all of us. He can do that with each and every one of you. He can look at your brokenness and your flaws and your cracks and say, I've got you. I can't put that back together. God could with a word. It won't even take him labor. It's just speaking. And he's got it. And he can do that with us. So church, would you stand up with me right now? We're going to pray. We're going to close service in here just a second. But first, I'd love to pray for you. I know we prayed at the beginning about setting some chains free, but I feel like there's some people in here who, man, you just feel like you've been broken, right? Like there's no way God could use you. I'm not going to drop this again. Don't worry. But so many of us feel like this pot or one of those pots. Maybe you're just a little fractured and have some deformities in you. Maybe you're broken completely. But God wants to use you. God wants to set you free. God wants to speak into your life and give you big, bold, beautiful purpose. And he can't wait for you to say yes. Because the moment you say yes is the moment you get set on God's plan for your life. It's the moment God gets to just speak hope and joy and blessing and power into your life. I'm not going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes this time. I want everybody to see the people raise their hands right now. Because I want to pray for you. And I want you to be encouraged by the courage of people around you. Because there are people that are going to raise their hands and just say, and say, you know what, that's me. I'm one of those pots up there that just feels broken and I'm unused by God. I can't, he can't use me. Sure, he can use those guys or the pastors. No, 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 no. The word says that pastors and authorities exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not to do the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is your job. And the moment you say yes, God's going to bless you. So with everybody's eyes up and everybody looking around, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you in this place, I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Lift them up all over right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Yeah. I know I'm not the only one. I honestly, I feel so inadequate so often. God, you are so good. And I love you. It's true, Lord. We just need more of you. We want more of your Holy Spirit. We want more of your love. We want more of your 
purpose, more of you speaking into our lives. I pray for everybody that raised their hand in this room and those who, who weren't quite ready to yet. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. God, that you'd fill them with your divine purpose, that you'd speak to them in their dreams and in visions, explaining to them the big, bold, beautiful plans that you have for them, that you want them to change the world, that you want them to sign up for ministries, to influence a kid's life at youth or in kids' church, that you want them to reach out to homeless people, that you want them to go to work and be a lighthouse for the gospel, that you want them with all their flaws and brokenness ministering to the world around them. God, give them everything they need and so much more. God, give them your hope. Give them your life. I pray that they would turn to you every moment, every day, looking for what's next. And every time, it's a yes, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Oh, you want me to minister or witness to that person? Yes, Lord, I'll do that. You want me to pray for healing for that person's broken leg? Yes, Lord, I'll do that. You want me to give uh, an insane amount of money to the bold campaign or to that homeless guy or to my cousin or whoever? God, I pray that it would be an immediate yes, because when it's from you, it'll bless my life. Bless us, Lord. Draw us closer to you. We just want more your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.